welcome to Thrive in Design, a podcast about making money and beautiful interiors as it relates to product-based businesses in the interior design industry. Each week, we'll discuss innovative strategies on how to approach product development and design sales in a shifting market. I'm your host, Nicole Lachey-Ben. Welcome back for another episode of the Thrive in Design podcast. I'm so thrilled to welcome Ginger Birkenbuehl to the show today. I virtually met Ginger a few years ago when I set out to launch my second virtual business summit called Become Mompreneur. Over the years, we've kept in touch, and Ginger brought me in as a guest for one of her Google workshops she hosted last year in 2022. Ginger Birkenbuehl is a trusted thought leader and recognized award-winning strategist technologist, and brand advisor with over 20 years of experience in digital transformation, reputations and risk management, brand policy, and safety and communication strategy for mid to large organizations. Currently, Ginger Birkenbuehl serves as the CEO of her media risk management and communications agency, Burke Creative, which is located in Chicago, Illinois. Burke Creative works with businesses as a plug-and-play brand strategy team or as a complement to existing creative and marketing capabilities. They deliver wraparound services across all advertising and marketing activities. One of Ginger's many accomplishments at Burke Creative has been becoming a collaborating architect of the Accelerate with Google program acquired by Grow with Google, now recognized as the award-winning Google Digital Coaches, a program designed to train and educate underrepresented business owners, about digital tools so they can succeed online. And to go along with one of the themes of this podcast season, Jenja is AI obsessed. All right. Welcome to the show, Jenja. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Nicole. I'm excited to be here too. Yes. So before we jump into a conversation about AI, which I've seen you talking about a lot on LinkedIn these days, let's talk about you and Burke Creative. So tell me what inspired you to start Creative years ago. I started my company because I wanted to have access to clients, right? So when I worked at other agencies before I started my own company, which at the time was called Burke Design, I realized that a lot of the information I needed and wanted and the place that gets me excited and drives me to keep going really has to do with the information I get from the client. So as a media company and as a creative strategy company, a media buying company, it's important for me to really understand the the root of the problem. And sometimes when you have a middle person involved, whereas you're the creative strategist, the senior lead or the designer, whatever, whatever the role is, and you have a middle person who then has to get information from the client, then reinterpret it through their own lens to get the information to you. And then you're reinterpreting the middle person's lens to get to the answer, then you're sending back an answer that may not be exactly what the client interpreted because everybody hears things differently. Everybody sees things differently. And I realized at some point that I was missing something critical in getting to the right solution. I still got to the right solution, but I also realized that the interest I have in getting to the solution, some of the interest I had was missing because I wasn't able to access the client, right? And a lot of times you're not able to access the client because The person in the middle is really in a place to protect their job and their role and their own goals that they have for their own careers. So it's just really for me, you know, some people are are very comfortable, you know, working in that environment where it's very hierarchical and, you know, you have, you know, all these different people, all these different layers until they get to you or down to you. 
And for me, I just found at that time in my career that that wasn't the way that I was going to grow and learn and move forward. So I decided in consultation with my last boss, who is an amazing woman designer, amazing woman leader. And she said, you know, Jinja, it's time for you to decide what you really want to do with your career. You're going to be a great you know, career person. You're going to make a lot of money in this business. You can make a lot of money. You're brilliant. But I think you're not really excited, you know, about, you know, some of the things that we're doing. And I was like, I'm definitely not excited about what we're doing because I'm not really getting the answers I need. Also, at the same time, I decided to launch my own band, Utah Carol, with my husband. And I was also writing songs at lunch. And I was taking two-hour lunches. And I was like, with my acoustic guitar, making folk songs. And I was like, this is my life. I'm going to do all this cool stuff, you know. And um, I just decided, you know, I'm just going to open my own company and I'm going to launch my band. And I did everything at the same time. And that was in October of 1997. I never looked back. Oh, my gosh. I love that. It's like <laughs> you realized what you didn't like in the position that you had. <laughs> you also realized the things that you loved in terms of what a client experience might look like, what you loved in terms of music and following that passion. I love that you took two-hour lunch breaks as well. <laughs> I love it. it. It helps, too, when you have a leader who at the time was my boss who looked at me and she saw me. She saw me. I was not invisible. She saw me and my humanity and understood where I was in my career because she probably was like, that was me at one point. I see you because that was me. And she freed me. And that is something that is I feel very lucky and fortunate to have had this woman in my life as a career person, right? Because other people might have been like just cast it to the ground and just said, we're not going to invest or pour anything more into you. But she was not that person. And so I really am grateful for her, actually, for helping me get to where I am today. Because if, if it wasn't for her decision, I think I probably would have drowned, to be honest, right? Working in the place I was working in the design and media space. Yeah. So what type of companies do you help? So we work with a lot of different companies in many different verticals, from technology to education to financials to retail to food service, things like that. So we have a variety of clients. We have tech clients across all industries. We work with some of the largest brands in, I want to say the world, but that's not enough. I feel like we're in a whole nother world now with artificial intelligence. So we work with the largest brands in the what do you want to call it? The existential whatever we're in right now, which is really exciting. So we've had really good success also working with government contracts as well. So I've done a lot of work in healthcare, helping people in public health spaces reach, you know, underrepresented communities. I did a really exciting project during the pandemic. It was a life and death project. And I was able to, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, but I was able to use my skills to support a team that really needed to understand how to help people in underrepresented communities get vaccination information education. So I really felt I was part of the solution during that, you know, really stressful time in, in 2020 to 2021. So yeah, I've had a really great career. I've also been able to work a lot with Google and I helped create what's called the Google Digital Coaches Program back in 2017, which we launched and it's still in progress today. So I'm excited to still be working with Google on that program. So I've had a lot of just really amazing things. And I also always want to work with small business owners, right? I'm not able to do it as much as I'd like because, you know, a lot of small business owners, and I'm one myself, we have very limited budgets and limited time. We're on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, work weeks. And if we have families like I do, we're just really stressed. I really wish I could do more help with small business owners 
but that is a strong vertical for me. So actually what I did in 2021, I launched a nonprofit called Journey of Gratitude. And that nonprofit, which is sort of a tentacle of my company, Burke Creative, where I'm able to use my nonprofit organization to work with very small, intimate groups of small business owners to help them understand technology tools. How do they think about brand mindset? How do they design materials? If they're an author or, or an artist, how do they publish books? So there's other ways I can kind of do that. And that's an organization that's funded by grant money. So I'm able to kind of, hopefully, I'm actually applying for grants right now. I'm hopefully be able to use those funds to help some more small business owners be independent in this world of work. I love that. That like ties into a lot of things that I'm passionate about as well. So I'd love to hear how you're helping small business owners, not only through Google, but through your other organization as well. So I saw that you recently added something to your IG bio that said you are AI obsessed. Yeah. So tell us what led to your obsession with AI. What are you finding most intriguing about AI these days? I love artificial intelligence. I love all the tools. I love the excitement. I love the fear factor as well. I do thrive on fear and chaos. I love working on very complicated assignments that clients give me. I'm not intimidated by things like that. And artificial intelligence to me, the tools, specifically the autocorrect tools, which is what I'm really talking about when I'm talking about artificial intelligence, autocorrect tools and you know, generative AI. I love it because this is what I've been doing my whole life. I've been doing the work that these artificial intelligence tools are now doing instantly. And so what's happening for me is it's like, these tools are a partner in my creativity, right? They're a partner. They're a collaborator. They are sometimes a leader, right, for me, and sometimes I'm leading. It just really depends on how I'm engaging, how I'm interacting with these tools. Take, for example, ChatGPT. I love working with ChatGPT, and I do call it it. I don't call it a person. I know people that sometimes call it a he or she, and I'm That's able weird. to... I know. I think that's weird. Like, why are we calling it a he? It's not a he. It's not a she. It's an it. It's an it. It's not a person. But anyway, I love interacting with it because when I, for example, am building a proposal or I have a document that I've written or an essay I'm working on, I can pour in my content and have it do very simple things like check for grammar, you know, check for spelling mistakes, you know, things like that. Help me break out the copy appropriately with bullets or in paragraph form. So it actually helps me with creating content that I might have missed, right? Some things, some gaps I might look at and say, oh, I didn't even think about formatting it this way. This is really helpful. So I really like using it as a tool. Now for me, because I am a writer and I am a content strategist, I'm not using it to originate content because I understand what I'm looking to get. I understand how to prompt a little bit differently so I get the answers that I want. But that doesn't mean that I take all the answers that they're given. I sort of am able to go back and forth, like I said, in a collaborative process. Now, when I think about the other tools, for example, Midjourney or Dolly, these are graphic tools where you can get art, you know, illustrations created and different types of artwork and graphics and things like that. When I'm using those tools, that's an entirely different thing because that really becomes me as art director and then these artificial intelligence tools as the artist. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not still hiring artists to help me do work, right? So one of my superpowers is as an art director, I've hired hundreds of artists over my career and helped 
art direct to get the solution that I need to get to that the client is hoping for, right? Which is why they hired me. So I'm really excellent at art direction and really helping artists, you know, visual artists that, you know, paint or use graphic design tools or, you know, cut paper, whatever, however they're crafting, whatever they're creating for me. I'm really good at sort of, you know, helping direct them. So I can take that skill I have and I can translate that to something like a mid journey or a dally. The only difference is, though, these tools do require a second level of a language, and that language has to do with its information technology language, its programming language. It's it's understanding, for example, when you're asking for 4K rendering, you know, some people may not know to ask for 4K rendering. If you want an image to look like a specific type of a camera or a single lens reflex camera, I'm talking about mid-journey right now, you kind of have to have the language of the creation tools to get to the solutions you're looking for. I'm fortunate enough to have those tools because of my background, you know, as a designer going to art school. So I really am excited by these things, right? There's some people that are afraid of them because they feel like they are taking jobs. And there's definitely no doubt that there are some roles now that I really think to myself, I don't know if I need this role anymore because I have this thing to do it. You know, and I say thing, I really mean thing. I have a thing that can help me do this. So that's kind of why I'm excited about AI. I also think it's important for clients that people are working with to be educated on these tools. So when I'm working with my customers, I'm helping them understand what's available as well. I'm not about knowledge hoarding. I'm really against knowledge hoarding. I don't believe in knowledge hoarding, Nicole. I just, I feel that there's people in the world that have the codes and they refuse to give the codes. And that's why most of us are not successful or finding success because no one will give us the code. And sometimes we don't even know to ask for the code or we just accept whatever we're given. And, um, you know, that's the other challenging thing around artificial intelligence is that what's, what's a little bit uh, stressful about working with these tools is if you have narratives in your brain that can prevent you from getting to unexpected results when you're interacting with, inter- with artificial intelligence, right? You kind of have to liberate your thinking and just go for stuff. You just got to you know what I mean? You just got to put stuff out there and ask questions and ask for things, experiment and keep going and keep practicing over and over again with these tools because whatever you think you know is not what these tools know. These artificial intelligence is not even the same intelligence of us. Like it's not our intelligence, right. it's own intelligence. Human intelligence. It's not human intelligence, right? I mean, we don't even know what the intelligence is. I don't, we don't, nobody knows what it really is. So right. you kind of have to, you have to realize that you are a human and it is not. And so when you're engaging with it, you have to sometimes think about how do I engage with it in an, as much as the extent that I can in an unhumanly way as possible. <laughs> I mean, how that's do you do that? That's a really weird instruction. Like engage with this as unhumanly as possible. <laughs> I mean, and here's the thing. It's just one way, right? I mean, right. You use it as humanly as possible. Like, however you engage with it, just do it. Like, right. figure out how to do different things, experiment, ask different questions, go down a rabbit hole, you know, set aside time every week to go down a rabbit hole and just say, I'm, you know how easy it is to go down a rabbit hole on Instagram? Oh, yes. And on YouTube. Okay. You end up looking at all types of videos. I mean, why, t- you know, I mean, honestly, like when you think about using tools like social media, those are tools for consumption consumption. Most of us use these tools for consumption. We don't use them for creation. Right. It's opposite with these AI tools. They're mm-hmm. really sitting there to be used for creation. Yeah. So, you know, last week when when Zuck, you know, released his new threads, I was like, okay, so 
he wants to make sure he doesn't lose people to the creation tools because no one's really, you know, if everybody rolls over to ChatGPT or Bard. That's true. What's the point of having threads or IG anymore? You can just do all kinds of cool stuff on these AI tools and make really amazing art and stories and music. Yeah. I mean, horrible. I feel like I'm sitting here as an artist myself and a musician, right? And I'm like, I don't want to be taking the food out of my mouth. Yeah, that's a lot of things. Well, when I started doing research for the season of the podcast and I was just inquiring with people, like, what are they thinking with AI? What are the main things of fear that came up? You know, people were fearing they're losing their job. They're going to become obsolete, that they're not going to know enough. But one of the things, especially not knowing enough that you just said, is that you have to have a a knowledge of language to give these platforms. And I love that you're saying, one, that you're sharing knowledge and that you're encouraging people to learn more as they are going into these platforms like ChatGBT or MidJourney or Dolly or what have you. Another thing that you just hinted on is this platform Bard, which is another one new to me that I have not played around with yet. But tell us the difference between ChatGPT, Bard. Are they the same? Are they different? Like, what is, what is up with this, Jenja? Break it down for us. <laughs> so I am not an AI expert, and I am not a large language model programmer, right? So just okay. level step right now. There are yeah, Well, that's why I brought you in, because we need the basics. <laughs> <laughs> there are geniuses out there that, operate with these tools and these systems at a whole entirely different level than I do. I mean, really, they are off the charts in a whole nother dimension. They literally are in another dimension. And these these human beings working with these tools. Uh-huh. And not only are they in another dimension, but these people are in the future. They're in the future and we're not. Like we're not, a lot, most of us are not in the future. We're in the past with these tools. Like what we're seeing and what we're experiencing were tools created years ago that are now happening, but they were created in the past and now we're using the stuff in the past. And there's people that are working on the future and they have a whole, you know, again. So I just want to make sure that you know that I'm not an expert. I don't know fundamentally or with detail what the differences are between ChatGPT and Google Bard, okay? I do know that they have, they operate on two different language models. They're not exact the same. So when you ask something of ChatGPT and you ask the same thing of Bard, you will get different results. It's not a singular voice coming, you know, at you. They're just basically two different types of robots. They're siloed. They really, really, truly are. Now, my understanding of what I've read is that ChatGPT was able to create their system from a system that Google actually created years ago, right? So that's how ChatGPT came into fruition using technology that Google invented. That's for sure. I mean, and it's a big deal. There's actually a paper, if you wanted to look at it, it's called All You Need Is Attention. And this document, it's not even that long, but it's really complicated. It's very hard to understand unless you know the language. If you want to look at that, you'll understand where ChatGPT came from because it really stemmed from that technology that Google invented. That being said, you know, and I'm not speaking for Google. I'm not speaking as a Google digital coach, just to say that right now. But I have experimented with the two platforms. And my personal opinion around the two platforms is that ChatGPT at the moment services my needs at my agency and for my clients more effectively than Google Bard does right now. I don't know why. I'm not sure where Google Bard is in terms of their alterations on on their platform or their evolution of it or if they're improving it. Like, I don't know what is actually happening. And in fact, 
the bar that I have access to may be different than the other bars that other people have access to, right? I mean, very similar to when you open up Google and you start running ads or you work on the Google search engine, oftentimes the interface that you have might be different than the interface that a marketer might have that works at um, one of the large Fortune 500 corporations right, or, or companies on the Dow. The marketer that works at the company on the Dow has a different interface of, of tools than I have. So I'm not even sure if I have the greatest and the best version of Google Bard that's available, right? I, I might have like, I might have the low end pedestrian version, which is like, you know, crap and poop. I mean, that would have been a but I will say I actually did a TikTok about the differences. I did a TikTok on my TikTok channel, which is at Bird Creative, the difference between Bard and ChatGPT. And I feel that Google Bard is much dreamier and much more, you know, oh, I don't know. Let me think about this for a minute. How about we talk about this more? Or if you ask it a question, it might be that. It sounds like it's still learning. I don't know. I might come back and say, I don't know. You shouldn't ask me a question like that. Or I'm a large language model. I'm not trained to do that. Whereas if you ask a question of ChatGPT, I would say 99.99999% of the time, I will get an answer. Now, whether the answer is true or not, I have to verify when I go back and look for things. And I do have to prompt multiple times with ChatGPT just to kind of push it to a, another level, which I mentioned earlier. There's levels and layers of questioning you can deploy to get the solutions you're looking for. And even if you're not looking for a solution, there's different levels of prompting you can deploy. But with Google Bard, I, I don't necessarily feel that it's as articulate or efficient as ChatGPT. And I don't know why. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think it is smart. I feel like, I mean, I'm really glad you asked this because I have to tell you, Nicole, when I go on Google Bard, I'm just kind of disappointed. I'm like, come on, man, let's go. Let's make this happen. I love it. I love it. What's up? You know, like, look, give, her the, give me the sweet sauce, you know? Oh, my God. Oh, it won't give it to me. <laughs> oh. Well, let's cross our fingers that something happens. The platform gets a little bit smarter as people continue to ask you more questions. One thing I am curious about, too, and I'm sure a lot of my listeners will be curious about is your creative process. So I have a lot of designers that listen to this podcast or just a lot of people in the design industry. Um, And I know you mentioned that you have a background in design and you're able to use that language and background as you're feeding it into these different platforms, whether that be ChatGPT or platforms like Midjourney and Dolly, where you're creating more artistic imagery. So Break down really quickly, like what your process looks like if you were in that art direction role in implementing different AI tools into your process. Like what's the secret sauce of that for you? It depends on on my assignment. It depends on what my goals are. Sometimes I've actually gone into some of these tools, take Dolly, for example, and I just put random words together because I'm trying to go through a visual exploration process. I'm not even trying to create something. I'm just, you know, putting things out there to sort of see what comes back from the machine. And sometimes the machine then teaches me how to think differently, right? So I know sometimes I've felt like I've read articles where people complain that, you know, they're mining our data and they're mining to learn so that they can be better at what they're doing. And I actually feel like Maybe that was true in the beginning. I'm not even 100% sure if it was from the beginning, but I actually believe that, 
using these tools is actually helping me be a better creator and it's helping me be smarter and more clear about my writing and, and how I'm approaching projects. So it's actually training me in other ways. And that's something that I find very unexpected and I can feel it when it's actually happening that I'm still, I'm actually learning. It's not the other way around. I'm not teaching anything. It's actually teaching me things. And so when it comes to the visual creative process, here's the thing. I am a visual artist, but I'm not an artist that uses a paintbrush. I don't use Adobe Illustrator tools to create photography or images. You know, I do use my Apple. Um, what's the program on Apple? I love it. It's a really amazing program on Apple that I use. And I use my pen tool and I can make really beautiful things with it. But generally speaking, that's not the way I work, right? I'm more of a 2D, you know, graphic designer for my roots. I don't do as much of that anymore, but I used to. So when I go into these tools, I'm having the hand of an artist make something, even though it's an it. And I know some people are upset about that and they have every right to be because they feel like you should be working with me. Well, it's one thing if you're CMO of Pepsi and you're using these tools and you're axing and icing out every artist you ever work with because now you have mid-journey. That's a different conversation, right? I am not CMO of a large brand that has, you know, millions and millions of dollars a month to spend to hire people. I'm not, that's not where I'm headed. But for me, if I'm working on assignments for my clients, it's sometimes nice to have like a partner artist sit next to you and let's try this. Let's try this color. What if you use this pattern? You know, how about, how about if you think about making this artwork using pointillism, right? And these are terms, of course, that you learn when you're in art school. How about if you, you know, create this using perspective? There's an artist, you know, named Vincent van Gogh or Pablo Picasso. Create something for me here that has to do with email. I mean, I don't know. Like, you're just putting things out there. And, you know, I'm lucky and fortunate to have had trained in the language. So, you know, as far as the process, that's really how I use the tools. It's different if I'm using a tool like Tome, which is T-O-M-E. That's a tool where um, I don't have to build out a really complicated slide deck, I basically ask it, you know, to build a slide deck. And I say, I want to give an instruction on how to start a business. And I want to have the slides only be five to 10 slides long. And I want each slide to have bullet points. And this artificial intelligence tool will use the knowledge that's been given to build a slide deck out. And so I don't have to do that. And then when I have the slide deck, I can go in and edit it. And then when I edit it, I can practice it. And then I can use this exact same tool to do a recording and teach the slide deck and run a class. So, wow. you know, that you just changed my life with that tool. Oh, and you know what? It's not, and it's not the only presentation tool available, right? Tome is good. It's spelled T-O-M-E. It's a great tool, but there's many other tools available. And I do think that Google is actually working on um, developing an artificial intelligence autocorrect tool in its own program, Google Slides. So why it's not available now, I don't know. I mean, I feel, I feel grumpy about it, to be honest, because I love Google. I love Google tools. Google is one of the reasons why I've been able to build my business, the extent I've built. It's one of the, the companies that has helped me get results for my clients. Massive, massive results. Like we're talking big time results in terms of their own customer acquisition, you know, clients selling their products and services, getting messages out, running ads. I mean, all the things Google has been so great at for my clients. So I'm really waiting for them to emerge and, you know, upgrade their tools like big time. I need a really massive update to their tools because I don't want to stop using them. I love them. 
I love it. I've been using what's now known as Google Workspace for years now. (laughs) I know I did virtual learning for my graduate degree and I graduated in 2014 and we were using the same tools that are available now and I haven't seen much of an upgrade. So I too, I feel your pain. Yes. I mean, come on, Google. Nicole and I are begging you to get If you're listening. (laughs) If you're listening. (laughs) So, Jenja, this has been so good. But I'm wondering, too, if you have any predictions of where you see AI going into the future. Like, I know you say people are scared, but you're embracing it and you're using it in your business and helping your clients embrace it as well. But what are some of your predictions of where, where we're going with this? I love all the tools and I want more of them. I mean, bring it on. I I don't know. Like, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to create a society where everyone's on the universal basic income. (laughs) I'm not trying to destroy lives. And I am worried about, you know, people in other countries that really need you know, companies like Fiverr. Is that how you pronounce Fiverr? Fiverr? Fiverr. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm worried about I'm worried about people that have been making a living and feeding their families because they're doing, you know, things like proofreading or writing scripts and doing voiceovers and doing ads and, you know, Google ads and things like that. You can hire people to do these things really inexpensively. The thing that does worry me is that these tools do take over the roles of those people and they are no longer needed. They really truly are not. I mean, I hate that about it. I hate that about it. So I wonder what is the solution? What is the replacement outside of universal basic income? And I say that because people that are on Fiverr, for example, they like to create. They like it. They want to create. They like to write. They like to make ads. They like to make artwork. They love to paint and they want to do this for people. And some of these people will do it for almost nothing because they love it. And I'm not saying that you should take advantage of people like that and hire them and pay them pennies. My point is that even if there is a replacement, what is the replacement? for people that love creating. I mean, everybody can't be an entrepreneur and everybody can't make money if artificial intelligence is doing the job of a million people. Like, I just, that's what, that's one of these that does worry me. But I think if I think on a positive space, and I, I don't, I don't know what the answer is, frankly. I just don't know. I mean, I saw an AI system that was, a, instead of using, you know, Roundup to kill weeds, there was an actual machine that could target the weeds and use laser beams. No pesticides needed. Yes. And I thought that that's pretty transformative. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like transformative and that's amazing. Like I actually, that's something I want. I want no pesticides and I want a laser beam to shoot the weeds. (laughs) (laughs) But for a positive space, I do think that, you know, for the future, and I've always told this to my own children, you can either be a creator or you can be a slave, Mm -hmm. right? As long as you find out how to be a creator. How to be a creator. What does that mean? Write something, build something, make something, think something, imagine something different. Figure out how to do some prompting on these tools, for example. You know, maybe use these tools to figure out how to reduce plastic waste in the world. I did that. My first week using ChatGPT, I asked a series of questions about plastics in the ocean. I mean, there's you can use these tools to create. Maybe you have to change your mindset around what is creation. And even though I've been creating this thing my whole life, maybe I should think about other things I could be creating. And how can I use these tools to help me create that thing? And maybe something will come of it. I mean, I really feel like the positive future is hopefully inspiring more people to use creative, strategic thinking processes Mm -hmm. to solve problems versus, and of course, this might be a larger 
you know, conversation for you with some other guests, but what's happening with their education system? Are they teaching children how to critically think? Or are they just teaching people how to take a test? Because basically right now, we do not need kids coming out of school like that anymore. We do not need kids to know how to take a test. We need, we need young people to understand how to critically think because critically thinking leads to creation. And if you can create, you can survive the onslaught of artificial intelligence, which is mowing down people you know, in their careers. I mean, it, it truly is. So that's the only way I can think about this in a positive way is to inspire people to start thinking, thinking. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Wow. So many gems that you shared in this episode, Jenja. So thank you so much for that. And if people want to get in contact with you outside of this podcast, where can they find you online? I love LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn is my jam. That's the best place. And I'm under Ginger Birkenbill there. Or you can also reach me on Instagram, of course, as Burke Creative. And I do love TikTok because TikTok's a lot of fun. And then finally, and I'm under Burke Creative under my, under my TikTok. And then I do have a channel that I launched a few months ago called Ask Jinja. That's A-S-K-J-I-N-J-A. And that's sort of my like fashion, cool things I wore yesterday, how to put on this glowy makeup that you said makes me look like I'm beautiful and glowing. I love it. You know, it's my creation tool, right? AI can't touch that. So, you know, unless they make me into an avatar. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, what's an possible? Endless possibility. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I learned a ton from you today and I cannot wait to implement some new tools for my business. And I'm sure my listeners can't wait as well. Ginger, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Nicole. It was fantastic. Thanks for joining us this week on Thrive in Design. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Thrive in Design. And for more strategies on how your product company can innovate in the interior design industry, head to training.thriveindesign.co. As always, subscribe to the show to catch every new episode and leave us a review so we can continue to create captivating content. See you next week. Thank you.